You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number three. Today, we are talking about how to have a thriving marriage after children with Dr. Morgan Cutlip, who holds a master's in human development and family science and a doctorate in counseling psychology. I was really shocked to find out just last year that two out of three couples report a drop in marital satisfaction after having a baby. This is just one study that was done by the Gottman Institute, but there's been many other studies that have concluded the exact same thing. I guess I always had kind of a romantic vision of couples having a child that it would bring them together and all that. And, you know, sometimes it does happen um, and it still can happen for most couples as long as there's some intentionality that goes into it. So what was interesting is that the Gottman Institute concluded that one in three couples who don't have that drop in satisfaction, they do things a little differently by sharing in the transition together. And that's what Dr. Cutlip is going to be discussing on today's episode, just how to do that. We talk about the biggest areas for marital dissatisfaction in both women and men. And yes, we get into sex after kids. We talk about how to reconnect and communicate effectively, how to maintain a positive attitude towards your partner, which Dr. Cutlip says is one of the most important things you can do for your marriage, and it leads to great marital satisfaction. She also talks about why, as millennial parents, we might struggle with connecting with our spouses after having kids more than previous generations. And finally, Dr. Cutlip is offering a free resource library for all of the Mother Good listeners, which you can get at the link in our show notes. And she's also providing a 20% off coupon for all of our listeners using the code MOTHERGOOD. And you can get that discount for her courses at www.online.mylovethinks.com. So without further ado, here is our amazing conversation with Dr. Cutlip. Welcome to Motherhood, where we strongly believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. I'm your host, Emily Carney, and I'm so happy you are here. Listen in on authentic and positive conversations to get the best practical tips to help you live to your full potential as a mom. Our content is also judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. If you are looking for a meaningful motherhood community and ready to thrive, not just survive, you are in the right place. Motherhood is a nonprofit organization funded by our generous donors. If you like this podcast, please consider joining them at motherhoodco.com slash give. Hi, Morgan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Emily. I'm really happy to be here. You spoke at our conference this past May and everyone just really liked your talk. So I wanted to have you on the show um, to talk a little bit about marriage and what happens in your relationship, your married relationship after having kids and beyond. So could you first start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, I love speaking at the conference. So it was such a blast. Thanks for having me. I'm a work at home mom of two, have a daughter named Effie. She's six and a son, Roy, who's three years old. I married my high school sweetheart almost 11 years ago. We are both from Ohio. So we're a long way from home. And I have my doctorate in psychology, and I have worked with my dad for over 15 years now, and we work at a company called Love Thinks. What we do is we develop courses to teach people how to have healthy relationships. So it started, I guess, over 20 years ago. My dad wrote a course for singles to teach them 
what to look for in a partner, how to identify red flags, and then how to grow a relationship so that your heart doesn't override the judgment of your head. And it's kind of evolved over the years. So now we have a course for couples, course for parents and families. Over the years, it, these courses have been taught to all branches of the military and universities, schools, nonprofits. Uh, we have a series for churches, and we have online courses for individuals. So that is where most of my time is spent, is really um, working to develop content uh, for our relationship courses. That's incredible. I love how you can work with your dad too. That's great in both of them. Yes. <laughs> we have to practice our relationship skills <laughs> quite a lot. But yeah, it's been it's been such a blessing um, to work with my dad. And then also to be able to work, you know, in a flexible environment where I can still be with the kids um, and, you know, and still have a career. So it's been a, a huge blessing. That's great. Well, tell us about your journey as a mom. Oh. <laughs> well, Becoming a mom was pretty like conceiving and pregnancy and all that. I was really blessed um, to have a pretty easy road in that way. We didn't have a hard time getting pregnant. My pregnancy was pretty standard. Um, I did kind of a unique birthing situation where I had our first at a at like a birthing home, and then our son was born at home. So with our first, I had some complications. So that was kind of like a rough. Um, entry into motherhood. But I think like the biggest thing for me uh, was that two months after our daughter was born, my husband got relocated to California. And we had just moved to Florida when I was nine and a half months pregnant. And so it was pretty, it was a pretty quick turnaround. And so I didn't move out to California until our daughter was 10 months old. So from two months to 10 months, I was kind of a single parent. And um, it was just like a lot of those firsts as a mom doing on my own, like sleep training, teething, <laughs> introducing solids and all those things you just don't feel like you totally have a hang on, you know, you kind of feel nervous and unsure of yourself about I did on my own. And so our parenting responsibilities felt so severely imbalanced that first year of our life. And it just kind of delayed my husband's sort of like entry into parenthood. And so that was just like a really massive kind of defining part of my first kind of entry into motherhood. And so I remember um, before we had our son or even even like considered getting pregnant with a second, you know, we had like a lot of work to do because I was so fearful of kind of being on my own again um, with a baby and not having a lot of help. And then also we just had such a major life transition right after having a baby. And so we had to work on some of that stuff, have some tough conversations, but luckily second time around, he was so hands-on and it was a lot better, but it's, it definitely was a, a process in the beginning. I can't even imagine going through most of that first year, you know, as a single mom, basically, because that, that's so hard. I know. <laughs> and you're so kind of like insecure in the beginning. It's like, I thought I was supposed to know what I was doing. You definitely have firsthand experience to what happens to marriages after kids. You know, I've read so many articles that said, you know, that so many couples have less satisfaction after having kids. Um, in all areas of their relationship, except I thought it was interesting, except one area, and that's mutual purpose, at least in the book that I read. So exactly. maybe you can talk a little bit about all of that. 
they really started studying that kind of in the 50s. And they found exactly what you said, that marital satisfaction declines pretty intensely after kids. Um, There was a study in 1957 by Lee Masters, and they found that the majority of couples called this transition into parenthood a crisis for their marriage. And so it's, it's, (laughs) kind of a bummer to say that, but like, but it really is pretty consistent throughout the decades that research finds that there is this drop in satisfaction after, after having kids. And um, when they really look at kind of what is the driving force here, um, it seems like it's a lot about how we use our time. So before kids, as a couple, you can spend a lot of time doing leisure activities, just doing things together. But then after kids, it really is most of your time is spent on work, on household chores, on errands, um, on taking care of the kids. And then that drives a lot of the dissatisfaction along with um, just more financial strain. That's a big part of it. They kind of say like, hey, if kids didn't take so much time, it didn't cost so much, probably there wouldn't be as big of a drop in marital satisfaction. Another thing they find is that for women, one of the driving forces is dissatisfaction really in the change of roles and responsibilities. So as you know, when you become a mom, you kind of take on so much more of the caretaking of the kids. It's just generally how it tends to go. There's a lot of talk about, you know, invisible labor and mental load. And a lot of that falls on the women um, after having kids. And so that adjustment drives that lower satisfaction for women along with loss of freedom. And I know personally for me, that was such a big transition, just something I didn't anticipate. You know, this idea that like, I really cannot just get up and go like I used to. And I remember my husband coming home for the first time with a, with like a fresh haircut. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, if, if I go get my haircut, I have to like realign the stars. So it was, I think that's such a big one for women. And then for guys, what tends to drive their uh, marital satisfaction down is just the financial pressure that they feel after having kids. And then also um, a dissatisfaction with, with their sexual relationship. So. Yeah, (laughs) I could definitely attest to that loss of freedom too. You know, I don't, I don't know in my case, if it was necessarily specific within my marriage, but I just remember, you know, I, I got married later in life and in my late twenties. And so I just remember just what you were saying. I didn't anticipate just having that loss of freedom and having to plan everything out in advance and who's going to watch the kid and when's nap time and did they get their snack and all these different things you don't think about. So, and uh, yeah, I definitely experienced that, you know, dissatisfaction. I think it was, at least for me, I think it was more just like personally, but I've also had conversations about this with my friends too. It's like, you know, even when our husbands do watch the kids to do whatever it is, they don't still get that same experience of watching the kids, you know, every single day. And there's no one planning out the outfits. We don't have the luxury of someone planning out the outfits for us, you know, like we have to do that for our spouses or whatnot. Yeah. I do have any like practical tips to like help navigate that situation. I know it's so funny that you say that about just leaving them. If you go run errands and having that time alone with the kid, like your husband having time alone with kids just doesn't replicate what it's like for moms. And um, recently I had to leave for a little over a week and I had never done that before. And my husband and my 
parents were out of town, so he had no backup. And my husband had to just take everything on like we're talking packing lunches and taking them to their activities and getting them dressed and doing our daughter's hair and all of these things and I felt like that was like the best thing I've like that's ever happened to our marriage really (laughs) because we I got home and one morning we woke up and I go downstairs and he's packing lunches And usually he had no concept of even like the time when school started. You know, I'd be like, hey, do you know that like they're in their pajamas and we got to leave in 10 minutes? Like, how come you haven't moved us forward towards getting out of the house? Right. (laughs) So I know that's not possible for everyone to do, but that was such a game changer for us is having him be in a position where he had to just kind of sink or swim and, and learn the routine and be kind of thrown into my world even for a week had a pretty dramatic impact on things for us. I can sort of relate to that as well. I, my husband works from home. And the first day that I went back to work, um, it was the only day that our babysitter couldn't watch my daughter. And my husband, he was able to work one day on the weekend so that he could watch our daughter during the week. (laughs) It was so funny. On my first day back at work, though, I still remember I came home and I was so refreshed because I could drink my coffee in peace. Oh, and, that's nice. You know, eat my breakfast and lunch in peace and just, you know, have some time to myself. And I walked in the, the front <laughs> door and I still remember my husband, who was so exhausted after taking care of our toddler. And he just looked at me as like, you know, only parents would view going to work as a vacation. As a vacation, right? And, but then it's funny because I think because he's had some of those experiences that he is able to more, you know, relate to what I'm going through during the day, you know, because I only work part time. So when I am at home, he can, he does relate to, I've been working, quote, working, watching the toddler like 12 plus hours today. <laughs> And then he has a little bit of an idea of how much work that is. So Exactly. Yeah, just having them get your world, you know, having them have that understanding just is is such a game changer for a relationship. So it's not like trying to explain to them all that you do, you know, when you're taking care of the kids and, and managing all the stuff at home. Just knowing that they get it is is a big step forward. I remember one time, this is a couple years ago, but my husband um, took the kids to the pool and it was one of the first, I, it was one of the first times I didn't pack a bag. You know, I was kind of like, I'll meet you there. Um, just, you know, take the kids and go. And um, normally I would do everything for him. Like, here's the towels, here's this, here's that. And I got to the pool and met them there and he had nothing. Like he had no towels he had no snacks, which you have to travel with snacks, at least with our kids. He had no change of clothes. So, and they went in their swimsuits, saw they had with their swimsuits. And, and, I, and he was like, I didn't know. And I'm like, shame on me because you, you, you've never had to do it. You've never had to anticipate these things or think about it. And so that was kind of a turning point for me too, where it was like, it's okay. You know, nothing, you know, nothing catastrophic happened. They didn't have towels, big deal. You know, they dry off eventually. It was fine. But it kind of showed him that he needs to kind of take some ownership of some of these responsibilities and and kind of thinking ahead to some of the stuff. And it can't always rely on me. So that was, yeah. And I have to let him kind of fail at it sometimes. And the kids will be okay. You know, everything will be okay. But he had to learn 
Yeah, I really like that advice that you just have to kind of let your spouse fail a little bit in that way. And I know for me personally, I learn by doing too. You know, so if I don't do something myself, it's really hard for me to to learn, you know, even just for me personally, whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like I would get frustrated that he wouldn't think of these things, but it's like he's never had to. Definitely. So do you have some goals uh for growing together when life is pulling you apart? I remember you talking a little bit about this at the conference this past May and I really liked what you said. So um would you mind sharing that with everyone who's listening? If there's one kind of takeaway from what we talk about today, and then also one of the main takeaways of our couples course, it's called Rock Solid Marriage, is that it's really important for couples to have regular meetings to discuss the state of their relationship. We, in our, in our course, we teach something called huddles, which basically walks through five different areas to kind of touch base on and talk about and kind of see how you guys are doing. So it's like, Hey, are we making enough time to really like sit down and have conversations together and connect? You know, our, how is our attitude towards one another? Are we kind of getting in a rut of, of having a bad attitude towards one another? And how can we reset that? Or how are we doing meeting each other's needs? And they kind of like run through these different areas and touch base on the relationship. And it, what it does is it prevents kind of these like small little issues in relationships from becoming big, massive problems down the road. Because that's what happens a lot of times, especially when you have kids and life gets busy and life gets in the way, is you slowly develop these little areas of disconnect. And if they go unaddressed for too long, they can become major, major deficits in a relationship. And before you know it, you look back and you're like, man, we just kind of grew apart. So if you can schedule time, and I mean literally, like pull out your calendars and Put it on your put it on your phone once a month, once a week, once every two weeks, whatever works for you guys, and take some time to check in on your relationship. It really goes a long way to protect your marriage. One thing I would say is like keep the meetings kind of short, <laughs> so forty minutes because it's really a check in. It's also a time to kind of acknowledge each other and give one another some kind of like compliments and praise for how you guys are doing and set some goals for like the next month ahead is not a time to sit and complain about each other or to get into like big issues. So if that there was one goal to set, I would say it'd be that, you know, every month or every couple weeks, set aside some time to check in on each other and prevent these, these small issues from becoming big ones. I really like that too. And it reminds me of something else that you said on your social media account to stay on track yes. <laughs> for these meetings. So do you have any tips for staying on track when you are reconnecting oh, and gosh. trying to be yes. intentional about your relationship instead of just getting way off track? I know it's it's hard, honestly, to not get into that. So I mean, I would say ideally, hey, take our course. And then we give you an outline for kind of working through these meetings. So you sort of go into the meeting with an agenda. It's like, hey, we're going to we're going to run through these five areas. And we're going to check in, we're going to set goals. And then we're going to move on. But if you don't, I'd say, why don't you work together as a couple and come up with kind of an agenda for your meetings and create one yourself. So Hey, we can touch on X, you know, this issue or that issue, but we're not going to get into griping about these things. Or we're going to talk about, you know, our, our social calendar this meeting, or we're going to talk about our sex life this meeting and set, set a bit of an agenda and then also come up with some mutually defined rules 
for the meeting, which is totally fine to do. Listen, we're not going to talk about complaints about one another. And if there's something that we do need to talk about, let's just talk about scheduling a time to have that discussion later on. But try to keep these meetings positive because you want to keep having them. So if you have them and every time you have a meeting like this, it turns into a major argument or discussion that doesn't go well, you're not going to want to keep doing it. So you want to try to keep these positive and tolerable. That's great. I love that. Just keeping it positive. That's that's the best advice for that. So I noticed that you mentioned uh, earlier and just now to talking about sex and how it changes after having a baby. Yes. Maybe you can get a little bit into that. I know that could probably be an entirely separate podcast episode, but maybe just give, I guess, the the Cliff Notes version of that. One of the biggest things, and I know there's there's exceptions to what I'm going to say, so I'm, I'm definitely going to be talking in kind of these broad strokes, but I think it's really important for partners to think about their sex life in a way of mutual caretaking. And and to take ownership of the sex life. And so, listen, after kids, it's so easy to be too tired or touched out or to just really be not in the mood. But having issues with your sex life or not having enough sex or intimate experiences as a couple is like a really quick way for vulnerabilities to develop in a relationship. So it's a massive priority to, to stay on top of your sex. That's kind of a pun, huh? Stay on top of your sex life. <laughs> but you have, it has to be a priority. And then I've talked about it recently in some posts, but like sometimes people, um, when they're not in the mood, they use that as a reason to not engage in the sexual relationship. Like, eh, if I was in the mood, I would. And sometimes people don't feel in the mood until they're already participating. So, so have an attitude of mutual caretaking. And that includes having a sexual relationship, take some ownership over the sexual relationship. So if you can initiate, if you can mention it, even if you can start to kind of think about it through the day and kind of gear yourself up for it. And then if you're somebody who has like a lower driver, isn't in the mood very often, it's important to be uh, willing to participate when your partner is interested in having sex. And I've heard from some of my friends, too, that it's not necessarily that they don't want to have sex, but they just feel touched out and exhausted because they're doing all the dishes and cleaning and, you know, they constantly have small hands on them. So how should women who feel like that approach or talk to their husbands about sex when they really are just too exhausted at the end of the day? I don't think foreplay just happens in the bedroom. For some, foreplay is just the physical touch and all that happens right before sex. And then sometimes it's like, hey, can you do dishes? And that kind of does it for me. Or when you do things like that to take them off my plate, it frees up some space for me to even think about having sex. Or when you bring something you know, home for me that's special and makes me feel like you thought of me through the day, that puts me in the mood. So I feel like definitely have a conversation about it. And I think even just saying that, you know, listen, for me, you know, stuff that turns me on is not just stuff in the bedroom. And I'm way more receptive to having sex when I feel like I'm helped outside of the bedroom and some things are taken off my plate. And that does it for me. If your partner is really wanting to put you in the mood, they'll kind of do what it takes. And that goes back to mutual caretaking. You know, it's really having a concern for taking care of your partner and meeting their needs the way they like them to be met. 
I love that. Yeah, it's that's so true that foreplay doesn't always start in the bedroom. And do you have any uh, specific tips or examples for reconnecting? Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about you know feeling more of that disconnect after having a child. Are there specific tools or activities or I don't know, just things that couples should be doing to reconnect? And is it the same way for every couple or can every couple kind of have their own way of reconnecting? Yeah, I think every couple can find kind of find their own way, but there are certain things that you've got to do to stay connected. Like you have to talk to each other, you know, that applies to every single couple, but each couple might need to figure out how to make that happen. So um, I think one of the, the tips I would say is like, you just have to make time to connect with your partner. And so some people are really good about that. Some people are, are like, hey, we got a date night every single week and it's awesome for you guys, you know, and, and they make that time together. And I think for some people, though, they maybe aren't as comfortable leaving their kids with someone else or it's a financial issue. And so it doesn't matter how you do it. You just have to find time to really have some conversation with one another and, and stay on top of each other's kind of worlds and what's going on in each other's lives. So you can find ways to date each other at home, you know, even after the kids go to bed and you can have a glass of wine and talk or sit outside if it's nice where you live and, and have a conversation and have some moments where you reconnect. The overarching goals, you've got to prioritize your marriage. And that can be hard because I think we was all kind of say yeah, my marriage is a priority, but are we actually acting consistent with that statement? Our family life and our kids will only be as strong as our marriage. And it's really important um, for us to remember that. And especially among our generation, you know, when I've read things about millennial parents is we tend to really take on the identity of mom and dad kind of becomes like a massive part of who we are. And it's really important to keep that in check. That's a wonderful identity to have, but it's so important that we really prioritize our relationships because those are the structure that our kids grow up in. That's a really good point too. I've actually read a couple books and, you know, tons of articles that say that same thing that the difference between this generation and previous generations, you know, we millennials really take on that identity as mom or dad, and that, you know, it affects every aspect in our life positively and negatively, including parenting and relationships and all that. So uh, that's, that's so true. And that's really good advice to kind of keep that in check. Uh, so I wanted to ask you this question. So what is the worst and best advice about marriages that you can give? One of the worst pieces of advice is if it's meant to be, it will be. That always kind of bugs me because it kind of seems as if we don't have any control over things. And and I think there's a lot of things in life where we don't have control. But when it comes to how we take care of our relationships, we do. And I think that it's so important that we understand and we normalize the concept that marriage takes work. And it doesn't have to be, you know, bad or a negative thing. It's just kind of a reality of relationships that it's going to require effort. We're going to have to put time and, and thought and energy into that. And that's normal and that's okay. But leaving things up to sort of fate or things like that, I think does our relationships a pretty big disservice. Another piece of advice that bugs me is don't go to bed angry. I guess this is just kind of personal because I tend to want to talk everything out. 
and my husband reaches a limit. And so I've learned that sometimes he just needs to go to bed. Like I might not feel resolved and I might not feel all perfect and happy inside, but sometimes things go a lot better if he goes to bed and I go to bed and then we revisit things the next day when things have had time to process and settle in and there's been a little bit of a break and some distance. And I think that that's true for a lot of people that are kind of like that, like him, that sometimes they need a little bit of space from the issue to be able to kind of think it through and then they can circle back and have a better, more productive conversation. So I don't think it's that bad to sometimes go to bed in the middle of a disagreement. As long as you come back to it. I'm so glad you said that because sometimes things at nighttime do seem a lot worse than they really are. And then in the morning, they don't seem like they're a big deal at all. So how about the best advice? Okay, so there's this quote by Benjamin Franklin. And he says, before marriage, keep your eyes wide open. And after marriage, keep them half shut. And I love that. And I think that's so, 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 so important in marriage because before we get married, we want to be very picky and very discerning. And we want to be kind of like detectives and figuring somebody out, somebody out, determining if they're a good partner. But after marriage, you want to let as much go as you can, because there's so many little things in marriage that are, that a lot of people I've, I've in my work with couples and things like that, a lot of people tend to personalize. And I think that um, the better we can do at letting things go, at chalking them up to just kind of negligence or they weren't paying attention and not personalizing things and maintaining a positive attitude toward our partner, the better um, we will fare in marriage. I like that a lot. And I remember reading some of your recent posts too, talking about keeping a positive attitude about marriage. That's definitely so important. And I really loved reading what you had to say. Maybe if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think I talk about this like the most <laughs> in my post. So I know there was one post in particular where I took a picture of my husband's underwear on the floor. I wrote, I think my first line was, I took this picture this morning. Uh, is this a little deal or a big deal? And it was funny because a lot of people were like, this is a big deal. You know, this is, he is disrespecting you and blah, blah, blah. And maybe early in marriage, I would have agreed would have felt like he doesn't care that I work to keep the house clean or he didn't think of me when he did this. And I've just learned in over the years of marriage that it's really better for me to just think, you know, he was in a hurry. He goes to work super early in the morning and he, he just forgot. It has nothing to do with me. It's a little deal. And how hard is it for me to just pick that up and throw it in the hamper? And so I do this a lot in my marriage. I do it with my kids, but I, this dichotomy of little deal or big deal. If, if something happens, like, is this really, is this really worth making a big deal over? Most things are not. And by kind of showing the benefit of the doubt as much as I can to my partner, I'm able to kind of maintain a better attitude towards him. And that just affects everything. The littlest things can set us off in our minds to having a bad attitude towards our partner. And it just affects how we see, you know, we just see everything then through that kind of negative attitude, the lens of that. And so the the better we get at shifting our focus, giving the benefit of the doubt, focusing on all the ways we're blessed by our partner and the things that we appreciate. I think that the happier we'll be in marriage and the more satisfied we'll be. It's so funny how you bring up that example of leaving an article of clothing on the ground because I self-admittedly 
tend to do many things that guys do in my husband's and our relationship. So I can definitely relate to many times what husbands do in relationships. And so when sometimes my friends might be complaining or making a comment, and then I realize in my head, oh, shoot, I do that. But that's not the reason why I did whatever it was that I did. So that gives me a lot of insight actually into uh, my behavior. And then also I can tell my girlfriends, no, that's not why your husband did X, Y, or Z because I do the same thing. <laughs> well, it's really funny. Like my, um, my dad is like one of the most conscientious people you'll ever meet, but he has this thing with bananas. Like he will just like find banana peels all over the house, like in super weird places. And I feel like over the years, it's just kind of become a joke. But it's like sometimes it's just helpful to find humor in some of these things and kind of just think like it's a little funny quirk and it's not that he doesn't care about like my mom trying to keep the house clean or, you know, that he's thoughtless about her. It's just, yeah, probably he's in a hurry or he's thinking about something else. And so it's kind of just become this running joke. But even just finding humor in some of these things can go a long way. Yeah, that's that's great advice too, just to laugh about something. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so before I get to the last question that we always ask all of our guests about being a perfect mom, I wanted to try to connect this to marriage too. So how do we know that we are doing our best, you know, trying to have a good marriage as opposed to striving for a perfect marriage, you know? So how how can we kind of keep that reality check and be satisfied with the good instead of uh, dissatisfied with not being perfect? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So I would say that there are some gauges you can use to kind of reality check yourself. So one is um, that I think I mentioned it earlier, the golden rule of relationships, which is like, basically, it says love your partner the way they like to be loved. And if you both are doing that in marriage to the best of your ability, or you're really trying hard to love your partner the way like they like to be loved, that's a pretty good gauge that you're in a, in a great marriage because both of you are really concerned with meeting the needs of each other. And that's, that goes a long way. Another gauge is that you have the ability to be receptive to one another and an openness and willingness to change. Marriage provides a really unique structure for positive personal growth and changes. And so if you're in a relationship where maybe it's not perfect, I don't know what marriage really is perfect, but you can talk with one another about things and you will hear each other out, then I think that's a sign that you're in a really, really great marriage. And I think the last is just kind of what we were talking about before with little deal, big deal. The better you get at shifting your focus and really thinking about the ways that your partner blesses you and what they contribute to your life and how you are better off because you're with this partner, um, the happier and more satisfied you'll be in marriage. But when we start to really fixate on the things that bug us and even just like little pet peeves, the more dissatisfied we'll become in our marriage. So it's, it's really important to pay attention to your focus. Wow. Yes. I love those three tips. Those are really great practical tips to have. So in closing, and this is a question that we ask all of our guests, can you give an example of a time when you realized that you needed to stop trying to be a perfect mom and instead of instead try to be a good one? In our last house, my office was in the laundry room. And 
which is like, so it was kind of awesome, honestly. But I just remember one time and, and then also it was right off our playroom. So I remember I was with our daughter and then our son was a baby at the time. And I walked into the laundry room and it was just like a giant mound of laundry. And then I sat down in it and I looked over at my desk and I just had piles of work that I didn't know when I was going to get to. And I just felt defeated. Like it just felt like I cannot do this. Like I can't keep up everything I'm trying to do. It's too much and I'm failing. And um, our daughter came over to me at that moment. I don't know how they know to do this. It's kind of amazing, but she just wrapped her arms around me and said, you're such a good mom. And I felt like at that moment, it just kind of melted everything away. And, and I would love to say to you, and since then, like, I'm a changed mom. But honestly, it's a process. I feel like I keep having to remind myself that it's okay to not be on top of everything, to not have it all figured out. And I think one of my biggest struggles through motherhood has been not being as productive as I like to be because I'm someone who likes to achieve and, and produce and just get things done and check the boxes. And that just is really hard when you're a mom, especially when you're you're working at home and, and managing the home as well. So it's just been a process for me of, of kind of realizing that uh, I have to let go. I can't do everything as perfectly as I would like to. And accepting that it's really normal in all aspects of life, but especially for a mom to feel like you're falling short. And so I feel like I'm falling short a lot and I need to, and I work to remind myself that that's a normal experience and it's okay just to show myself some grace and patience through that. And, you know, lots of deep breaths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. And that's so true how your children just have, you know, they're able to at just the right moment sometimes just give you exactly what you need. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And also for all of your practical tips too and insight. I know, you know, this was so insightful for me. And I know that so many women listening uh, will take you know, have great takeaways as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much again for listening in on another episode of the Mother Good Podcast. We hope you really enjoyed today's conversation. And as a reminder, Mother Good is a nonprofit organization funded by our generous donors. So if you would like to support this podcast, please consider joining our donors at mothergoodco.com slash give.